hello and welcome to the FSF and Tapestry podcast. I'm Jules and today I'm joined by Angelica Salinska, editor of Early Years Educator. Um, hi Angelica, it's really lovely to have you with us today. How are you? Hi Jules, yeah really lovely to be here, thank you for having me. I'm really good, thank you. And how are you doing? Yeah, really well thanks, really good. Um, I wondered if we could start by you telling us a bit about yourself and um, your journey to becoming editor of Early Years Educator. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this question when you sent it through. <laughs> um, where should I start? Um, I'm going to try to keep it as short as possible, but kind of um, start from the beginning. Yes. So I've always been in early years education since um, I was um, a, well, a teenager and working part time. So my parents, um, they have a childminding business. And they started off um, when I was about 14. So I helped them at the very beginning and just carried on. Um, so I, I was there at, at about 14, helping them to write the policies, the procedures, mm -hmm. the assessments. I was really hands-on involved in all of that. We were doing it together. Um, and I guess I, I've taken the rather traditional um, steps to becoming an earliest practitioner, but in a through like a very non-traditional journey so I I did my GCSEs and my A-levels um, and but my mum really wanted me to kind of go more in into the early years so she was like we'll do this level two in children and young people's workforce and, and I did that whilst I was doing my A-levels and I, at the time it, it was not very nice because I was doing a lot <laughs> a lot of work <laughs> a lot of work at the same time as yeah and then well I carried, yeah, so I went through that in the evenings. Um, so I was going to college at the same time. And I was like, what am, why am I doing this? <laughs> but then um, that really motivated me to carry on. And I thought, oh, I'll do the level three while I'm here now. It's not going to be much harder. So in my year 13 levels, I did the level three as well. And then when it came to applying to university, I knew that early years would be a great career. And then I, I applied to do early years and psychology. So the psychology was still kind of my interest. Uh -huh. So I still followed that. And then I thought, okay, well, the earliest can be the career part. So I'll kind of do the joint honours and see where, where it takes me. So I did that. So I did my BA. And all throughout that too, I, um, I was in early years as um, a teacher assistant, um, a supply nursery nurse. So I got to see a lot of different settings, um, different types, private, um, maintained, schools and nurseries, children's centres. So I was really fortunate to be able to work in all these different places whilst I was at university. And it was hard work, again, doing it all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that gave me a lot of experience, um, a lot of grounding, and also very kind of different social cultural backgrounds as well and economic backgrounds yeah. um, throughout Leicestershire and Nottinghamshire. So that's what I did. Yeah, that seems like a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I went on to, I knew I was really passionate about early years. A lot of people on my course, it was really interesting actually, they were there because they didn't get onto primary education and they were going to do primary and I couldn't wait to finish the early years course and I was there just for the early years mm. and I was the only one <laughs> so passionate about it but then that made me um, apply to do my master's at UCL and again specifically early years um, throughout that I worked my 
first full-time job in the early years. So I'd, my master's was full-time, but it was only twice a week. So okay. carried on working. And that was in a lovely setting, private nursery in Leicestershire. Um, and yeah, that, that was brilliant. I was able to be a, um, a woodland learning leader, um, worked with my preschoolers. And I always, whenever I see anything online or anyone talks to me about anything that really sparks my passion for working with children that's who I think about those preschoolers my little my little class <laughs> oh yeah but, um yeah so gosh that also seems like a very long time ago so I finished my master's and then I went on to be pedagogical lead and preschool lead in another private nursery this was so much larger than the one than what I was used to. It was huge. Um, I had a lot of responsibility here um, for the staff as well as the children. And it was such a great experience. Um, at this point, though, I did think I really miss studying and I really miss mm. academia and research and writing. Um, so that was kind of the point in my life where I was thinking, where am I going with my life? What am I doing? <laughs> I'm passionate about the early years, about children, but this the way the education sector was then, and I guess is now, mm-hmm. I didn't really agree with things that were happening mm-hmm. and the ways things worked. So I thought, I'll give something else a go. Mm-hmm. And I applied to different jobs. Um, I came across um, TTS, um, a resource company and so managed to get the earliest ed- editor position there um, and it was almost by accident I didn't really that's not the place that I not the position I applied for but then that's the one that I got and actually it was perfect and I didn't realize how much I was suited for that role in terms of my passion for writing primarily and um, and also the collaborations and making those collaborations and partnerships so I have for where I am now, um, editor of Elias Educator, yeah. I've got a lot to thank TTS for because they mm-hmm. kind of started me up on that journey, um, doing all the even like the video editing and, and planning um, and photography yeah. and all of that. Yeah, so I came in. I was an earliest practitioner and came into working in an office and in a business environment. And I thought, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> they trusted me mm. and they, they had a lot of faith in me. And that's what kind of really gave me the push. I feel that throughout my whole career in, in early years education from my mum kind of put, pushing me into the deep end and me pushing myself into the deep end whilst I was studying at university, TTS really kind of giving me all these opportunities and saying, mm. give it a go. You can do it. That's um, that's what brought me here, I think. Um, and yeah. yeah, I really feel like this is definitely where I'm meant to be. This is where my passion is: the writing, the collaborating with the sector, still having those connections and daily interactions, phone calls, meetings with um, those who work in the sector or for the sector, earlier specialists, practitioners. Um, academics so yeah it's certainly allowing me to really be engaged with the sector yeah I love that story Angelica because it's a real mix of how one thing builds on another thing isn't it through through someone's life you know the different experiences that you have and also how you have that real mix of 
sort of real hands-on experience of working with with children and other members of staff but also the academic side mm-hmm. and also that thing about taking opportunities as well just thinking about what you know my own experiences in life as well and about how opportunities present yourself with themselves and then but then you also have to take them and there's a kind of combination of that kind of that luck of having the opportunity come your way but then you have to kind of yeah rub it when it does um yeah definitely agree with that it's um it's all about you can be presented with so many opportunities and even you know being being stepped into a role or studying and it's all about what you make out of it it's so important to be able to really make the most of anything that you're given yeah absolutely and i think um i know when we spoke last time we talked about um something that i know that's really important to you angelica which is Um, creating a community of practice and I'm just thinking about all those different kind of spaces that you've moved through to get to where you are in this moment and and you'd spoken about communities of practice and I just uh, I'm thinking about that and wondering what that phrase really means to you and how you could share how we can build communities of practice around us as we're working yeah yeah so this is something that is really important to me from my own experience and also I was fascinated by the idea of it when I first came about it as mm. at university and I could really connect with it and understand it and relate to it and even more so after I finished studying um, I was really missing like I said the academic side of things being able to have these deep discussions um, with academics lecturers early years Um, specialists other practitioners that are really passionate about what they do and being in a busy setting sometimes and a lot of the time um, I didn't have that opportunity to engage in those deep interactions sometimes the people I was working with they were not the right people to engage in these conversations with Um, they were either not interested and they were a different part um, of their in their career yeah um different stage or a lot of the time there was just no time and energy for these conversations to take place when you're in a busy setting with all of the routines um so and that's what something that as i say i was really passionate about um and it's just something that i d- didn't get and couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't have i did kind of take myself away to um i was part of and still am of the Centre for Research in Early Childhood in Birmingham, so CREC, um, with Professor Tony Bertram and Chris Pascal, mm-hmm. Professor Chris Pascal. Um, and that's what kind of kept me going throughout those years while I was in practice because I could then have these pedagogical discussions and reflections in that kind of group. Yeah. Um, as well as working so um, yeah so communities of practice I guess that's a great example so um, is um, is basically a community of practice as a group of people that come together who have a shared passion and invested interest in something and they come together to share their interest and passion and discuss these this topic and the kind of the topics around for example early as education reflect together um, share their views, experiences, um, have these pedagogical discussions. And um, I guess they're like, in, for example, in research and academia, these people can be seen as kind of critical friends. Um, and it's a very trusted space. Um, and you, 
it is a safe and trusted space where you can discuss your, like I say, experiences, your views, um, what's, yeah, reflections. And I just think that's so vital in this sector, in the earlier sector, especially now um, when there is so much to reflect on. There's so much just to share. Um, and there really, I can see that there really isn't, from my experience, there wasn't enough of these communities of practice, mm-hmm. opportunities for these communities of practice to take place. I could see that communities of practice a lot of the time take place in, in a kind of academic forum where earliest practitioners who may be of a certain experience or qualification, they may not feel very comfortable um, approaching these spaces, um, which is a shame because these spaces are very, very um, approachable and open mm-hmm. um, and supportive. And they'd like to have more of a diverse um, kind of demographic of, of practitioners of the early sector. So I, I, that's how I see early as educator right now. What I'd like for it to become is that community of practice. So the magazine is very, is rather academic, but then at the same time, it's very, very practical, particularly with that practical preschool section in the middle with all of the activity ideas. So it, it really is the best of both worlds. It's practical and academic, and it really brings those worlds together. And I'd like to do that more by forming this community of practice, I guess, in a virtual way, especially mm-hmm. now this is how things are. And what I have been doing through anything that I write, so the, the editorial page at the beginning, where my message is every month to the readers, um, then emails and social media posts. I always encourage practitioners to come back to, to me, um, share anything on social media, discuss things together, and I really try to provoke conversations and discussions. So I try to ask more questions and get a response from the sector so that we are sharing our ideas and experiences and views. And no matter how even how controversial and debatable they are, that's why it's important to share them and debate and discuss. And that's, that's how we grow. Because if we reflect on things together, and hear different viewpoints that really gets us to open our minds and then I feel like that gets us to reflect further on why we think the way we think what we do our biases you know so it's just really getting the sector to to come together and reflect and discuss and debate and perhaps early as educator can be that safe space and that community yeah it's it's really interesting hearing you talk about communities of practice because 20 odd years, 20 years ago, the foundation stage forum, the FSF was, was in the old days when a forum was a thing much more in a way um, before kind of social media really, really took off. Um, That was in a way what the FSF was and still is, is is a community space where you can come and share your thoughts and your ideas and, and ask advice and, um, and receive guidance about various things, hear about news, hear about what other people are doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it that way and really have these conversations. And so that was a kind of a, a kind of a, an early online version of that sort of thing, that, that, that those, those really interesting spaces to be where um, educators could connect 
basically. Um, and then I guess leading on from that, we're now in the, in the future from that. Um, and we're in a space where social media is, is, is the big thing. And I, I was thinking and wondering what you thought about how, how can we be discerning, I suppose, about making sure that we listen to a variety of views mm -hmm. on social media, because it's so easy to kind of get sucked into one space on social media to only hear from one group of people, because those are the people that you, you know, it all sets you up to be following and all that kind of thing. And yeah, and, and also to keep that positivity as well. And I wondered whether you had any thoughts around the community of practice that kind of does exist on social media, I guess, mm -hmm. um, in a certain way. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned forums and I think they've evolved into what's now social media and all these different groups that we're part of um, and Facebook and I guess Inst Instagram's a little bit different where it's mm. follow people and you see different views. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it is very important to be able to distinguish on social media what is um, healthy for you and your mindset, what fuels your your mind um what what progresses your thinking what moves you forward i think it's really important to be able to um see that some some of the content that you see online it pushes you to think in a different way mm -hmm. and if that's uncomfortable then that might actually be showing you that that is where that progress lies in, in your thinking so if those challenging conversations and discussions are really really important to have so if something something makes you feel uncomfortable and provokes you it may be something that's negative and you think actually I don't agree with this mm -hmm. and then you know you might you might even unfollow someone or you might think I'm going to explore what this means for me and why did it make me feel uncomfortable yeah. I might speak up um, yeah. um, a lot of social media kind of influencers and educators out there they do provoke our thinking um and you may feel uncomfortable in a way that's not like you disagree with it and it's wrong to think in this way but more inside yourself really kind of tuning into how that makes you feel you may feel embarrassed you may feel that um this isn't something that you'd be able to discuss in your setting mm. and that's where that kind of like I say that progress lies that's where what you need to really tap into and think why is this making me feel uncomfortable or embarrassed or why am I not able to have these conversations mm, yeah. and those are the kind of people and um, groups that you need to be following I think that really put you out of your comfort zone and that's where growth lies out of your comfort zone you're never going to grow in your comfort zone yeah. so yeah that's what I'm really trying to do following those who are really pushing my thinking yeah. out of the box and sometimes decide making decisions to unfollow people who may um, show you different kind of practices and views which I don't agree with anymore because I've progressed and moved on yeah and I think that's also important to do yeah yeah absolutely and I know as well again just thinking about that sense of community and spaces where people can can be and feel welcome we spoke when when we chatted last time we spoke as well about um the importance of representation and um and diversity and and and, and, and on all platforms and that includes you know tapestry the fsf and um, eye and that kind of 
we spoke about that responsibility of, of kind of making connections um, and publishing and, and hearing from black and brown educators and specialists. Um, and I know we also spoke about that there's a lot of work to be done there. Mm. Uh, and we, we chatted a lot about that um, as well. And I think that to me really comes into that, that concept of, of creating communities of practice, you know, who, who feels welcome in these communities of practice and also whose voices are we hearing from within them as well. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Yes, definitely. It's so important to be representative, especially when you are um, putting out any content, I think, as well. And um, if you're an influencer or an educator, if you're an, a practitioner in a setting, um, ensuring that everything you do is representative um, of those in well, in, in the world, I guess, but specifically in, in, in your setting, in your community, mm. um, and for instance, readers of only as educator, you want people to be able to feel comfortable and relate to what you're talking about, what you're putting out there. Um, and yeah, it's so vital to be mindful of that, to sometimes step back and think, am I being representative? Am I being equal and diverse? Yeah. yeah. What, what does that mean and how does yeah. someone else feel you know from from their perspective what do I look like what messages am I putting across yeah and also you know you've got that thing as you said of of, of the families and the children that mm-hmm. that um, educators are working with and that they need to to feel seen and represented and, and we've had lots of conversations and, and done podcasts with with guests talking about you know that that there are so many different kinds of family, for example, and you know what, what families are being, do we represent and who are we thinking about? Um, mm. and, and the same, you know, and how does that affect the children that we're working with? And so those, that, that there's some, there's, there's such a broad community to be, to be thinking of. Um, mm. That's where constant reflection is important and also shared reflection. And again, that's where communities of practice come in. It's important yeah. to be able to have someone to talk to about these things because there are they are these can be uncomfortable and difficult conversations mm-hmm. to have um, and scary to have them on your own and kind of internally and you think am I thinking is my thinking wrong um, mm-hmm. you sometimes feel a little bit stuck so that's where these communities of practice come in you know trusted space people that you can trust and people who really understand that kind of topic that area that mm-hmm. that you're tapping into yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier, actually, when you were talking about your own journey as well, that kind of importance of, of, of that practical experience. Yeah. Um, and I know, as you said, you know, EYE has that aspect to it as well. It's really important. And I just wondered how, how you feel, how important it is for early years educators to share their own practical experiences mm-hmm. um, and kind of also to then see and observe real life experiences when they're teaching and working with children. Yeah, um, that's uh, practice is so important, and there's so much you can only get so much knowledge, um, and it can only go kind of a, to a certain extent. But practice really puts everything into perspective all of your knowledge that you've learned, you know, academic knowledge, if you go on a course, the content that you receive online, things that you read, what really allows you to take it all in, understand it is practice and that context. Um, and sharing a practice is really important as well because 
um, again, it's the whole community of practice thing. Um, you, you're able to tap into different views, experiences, settings, practices, um, see things from another perspective. It's so vital to be able to, to be open-minded and to see something from someone else's point of view from their experience. And I know from being editor of Elias Educator and being edited before, case studies are always really brilliant and everyone loves a case study because they can, it's something that either opens up their mind and they think, oh, I never saw it in this way and, and actually I can't relate to this. This is really different. I'd like to learn more about this. Or most commonly, actually, people think, oh, I can really relate to this. I completely understand this. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. I'm so glad that you know someone else had this experience. And it's, it's really important to be open and honest in these instances, whether, you know, you're sharing a case study and if you're kind of contributing to, to a magazine or a podcast or somewhere, um, whether you're speaking with practitioners face to face, just sharing practice in any way. It is so vital to be completely as honest as possible because it really, I feel like that really helps you to, understand yourself and reflect come to terms with things you know you might have had a difficult situation and and then it really allows people to trust you as well and then open up to you and and that's just so important this kind of two-way converse, um, conversation these relationships within the sector I think it, it's vital because being early years practitioners it's it's such a difficult demanding challenging job um, and we are always encouraging children to speak about you know their views experiences we always say you know what have you done this weekend or how are you feeling and we we strive to ensure that they can come and talk to us like it, it, it would be awful if we felt that a child couldn't come and talk to us as an earliest practitioner and same with a parent mm -hmm. and our staff we're leaders so we need to be able to do the same thing with each other as early as practitioners. We really do. And we do that thing with children as well, don't we? Where we, we talk about learning from your mistakes, for example. And, you know, and yet we rarely, I think, give ourselves permission to admit that we've made a mistake and then therefore to kind of learn from it and grow from it. And, mm -hmm. and, and even to share that mistake with a, with a colleague or, you know, and, and I think that's so true that, that, we, we can look to what we, how we work with children to help, how we can help ourselves to, to grow and improve as well. Mm -hmm. And learning from mistakes is a, is a really key one, isn't it? Definitely. And then as well as practical ideas, EYE has, you know, this very rich kind of pedagogy um, and research aspect to it that looks kind of quite deeply. And when we spoke before, Angelica, you used this excellent phrase, which I loved, which was critical consumers of research and kind of encouraging um, educators to be critical consumers of research. And I wondered if you could hear for the podcast, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, definitely. This is something that I am really, truly passionate about. Um, I do think it's important for, and this comes back to our, what we said earlier about reading things online and reflecting. Um, anything that we read anyone reads you know um not just a practitioner anyone comes across any knowledge it's important to not just take it at face value but think what does this actually mean what is this saying how do i feel about it 
has it been researched where did this come from who said it you know um, really critically analyze it and it doesn't always have to be in so much depth and I feel like I almost do it too much sometimes I can't even enjoy a book and I'm analyzing it all <laughs> why did the reader use this word and not another word <laughs> why, what about this punctuation <laughs> um but you can yeah I think it's important to to critically to be critical consumers of any knowledge that we come across so critical consumers of what we read what we watch you know podcasts and webinars um because we may think a practitioner may think I, I kind of hear this a lot um that they they've read um an article from an earlier expert um and they think oh well this expert says that we should do this this and this and that's their view and I'm going to follow that and that's you know that they have they hold this knowledge and they're an expert but actually what I the phrase kind of I want to I like to use and I'm starting to use more on uh, the term is specialist so an earlier specialist so no one's an early years expert you may be a specialist in a certain area so you may have got a lot of have a lot of experience in a certain area of, of early years um, you may have a PhD, you know, um, but nobody is an expert and especially in your setting and in your practice and in your community. So if an early years specialist writes an article and you're reading that, it's important to um, kind of critically analyse it and read it in a critical way, reflecting um, what this means for you for your setting, for your children, for your community, your staff, whether you agree with what they're saying um, and why you may agree, why you may disagree. They, they, might, they might be their view or their experience and yours might be completely different. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's very, I think it's really vital to be able to, to be critical consumers yeah. of knowledge. Um, and that again, that's where growth lies. You, you need to be able to not just kind of take in at face value, but reflect. I use this word reflect a lot, but you really do need to reflect a lot on what you're reading and the knowledge you're taking in. Mm. What does that mean to you? What, how does it make you feel? Um, whether you can relate to it what you can link it with because that's the, the critical aspect of it yeah. um, making these links and connections um, that is after all what growth is in, yeah. in your brain and neurons connecting you know making links that's what children do mm. and it's the same as adults um, reflecting on what you've read and what what you can um, what you can relate to is it something that you can relate to in the past something that you've read before perhaps someone else is actually writing about this and they're seeing it in a different way. And it's kind of that going back and forth and yeah. not just taking everything as this is what the expert says and I've got to do this. There's a real combination of sort of curiosity and confidence being brought to that approach, isn't there? You know, you've got to be really curious because you've got to ask those questions. You've got to, you know, think back to other things you've read, make those links. You've got to be curious about... Um, your own cohort of children and your families and then there's that kind of confidence to ask those questions and to question what you've read and perhaps also that confidence maybe to take to your senior leadership team back to your senior and say well you know I went on this course and I, or I read this this book or whatever I did and I you know maybe it actually doesn't fit it was very interesting but but I've thought about these things and it doesn't fit with our 
current cohort of children and families, you know, I'm not, and these are my reasons why. And that kind of confidence to be able to say that confidence in your own, your own knowledge and understanding as well. And then I guess it does require in certain situations, it might also require a really understanding senior leadership team to kind of, and a good team to, you know, the, the, the kind of management team that will really listen to you and take on board what you've said and maybe ask you some more questions and be curious themselves. Um, but yeah, that, that combination of curiosity and confidence, I think is, is so important to cultivate because it's not always, it doesn't always come naturally to, to everybody. Um, and it's so normal to think that this person, I look up to them or they know a lot about this topic and they're right and they may be right, but you just need to be able to think, does this suit the way we work or why are we not working like this? If this yeah. um, specialist is recommending this, have should we change something? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. It does take, curiosity is, is a good word. We have to be curious and confidence is another thing um so it, it can be really difficult to sometimes it is stepping up out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. if you're not confident to do that um yeah and challenge certain views but perhaps you could see it as questioning and reflecting on how it makes you feel and mm-hmm. even whether you understand what they're saying or not um and then that takes you into further research and um, trying to to further your knowledge it's, it's just kind of an ongoing cycle yeah. but that's um that's why I encourage all readers of early as educated to to write um write to me um mm. just email me and say actually this article I don't agree with it or I have this view or well like that's what the letter to the editor is for really you know to say this is how I feel about a certain topic a certain article or this going on in my setting um, and do the same on social media as well. Yeah. And I feel like all of this comes back to communities of practice. It's all just one yeah. big community of practice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're coming now up to, it's September, and we're coming up to a period of change yes. um, in the early years, aren't we, with, with um, the revised EYFS and new guidance documents, and it's just everything's moving very fast. I think you wrote... I read that you'd written, you'd said um, it's about riding the waves of change. And that really spoke to me. That really feels like what, what's required of, of early as educators at the moment, because there is a lot happening and change can, can be really challenging and it can be quite overwhelming. But that concept of riding the waves, I felt I was a really positive way of looking at it, you know, that, that it is going to be perhaps quite choppy, but that we can kind of, we can go with that flow. We can kind of find our way through it and, and our own way through it, our own way for our setting and our children. And, and I just wondered, Angelica, what your hopes for the sector are as we move forward with all of that in mind, I suppose, and those changes in mind, what are your hopes as we move forward? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess um, my hopes for the sector are that um, this is quite a big question, actually. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think it's all about gaining confidence um, in ourselves, practitioners gaining confidence in themselves to um, be able to to say I know the children these you know these are my key children I know the setting I know the community mm-hmm. and I'm essentially I'm the expert here in in this community um, you know in in my in my group my cohort um, and 
I know what's best for these children and um, and reflecting on all of these kind of documents and changes and picking out what exactly speaks to you and what you need to kind of gain more knowledge on but really gaining more confidence in yourself in terms of um, making those decisions for yourself on what what is right for the children because in, yeah like I was saying a lot of practitioners do look to a kind of external um, experts and specialists and consultants mm. and I feel like at the moment there is so much content out there and there's there's so much training and CPD that it's so easy to get quite confused and bogged down in all of it and the main thing I think is to no matter how much training you've been on and how confusing it gets to really step back um, into yourself and think right what does this mean for me, my children, my setting, my cohort, the community that I'm working in. So I'm really hoping that all of these changes will allow practitioners, leaders, the sector to really look in kind of within them for this confidence and strength and this knowledge that that's, that's all there inside me, this knowledge. I know what I'm doing because the main thing is knowing the children. And then that's where you that you go from there. You know your children, and then you know that's that's a starting point. Yeah, and you put them at the centre. And I was thinking it sort of feels to me in a way with things like the new development matters and Verta Five matters, and there's that in some ways if if you can reframe it, there's kind of there's more opportunity. There's mm-hmm. there's more. Um, available to you to support you you don't you're not assessing against one or the other you're not you know those requirements are not there so that you can almost again it comes back down to confidence and curiosity and those kinds of things but there is in a way um more choice i suppose and a bit more freedom perhaps Mm. to to kind of use you know everything that's available to you to guide you Mm. um yeah and putting the putting the children and the families at the center so in some ways if yes riding the waves of change and then coming out the other you know the other the other side or having gone with the flow and and perhaps having more more available and and more confidence to to make those decisions ourselves um will will be a real positive um and um and i think yeah it's all about embracing change and it's definitely difficult and i know that yeah change is difficult for anyone and everyone as you know as a species <laughs> and, yeah. and also for, for early years practitioners i think change and I, I know from having done research into this change is a lot more difficult because of how turbulent the early years sector is as a whole it's always been that way there's been many changes mm. in the early years sector um but again as i say change is growth and it's important to be able to like you say with all of this knowledge out there to interpret it and reflect on it be critical consumers um, of all of this knowledge that we're receiving um and really yeah it's all about that reflection and how you respond to things because that there are many things that at the moment will um make practitioners react um in a way that might panic them might stress them Mm. and these are all natural reactions and they don't define a reaction doesn't define who you are Mm. you might think oh i don't have enough confidence um in this i don't know anything about this and this reaction of fear um lack of professionalism lack of confidence lack of experience this this is a natural reaction i think that's Mm. important to also see and understand and be kind to yourself and think 
what what does what is this telling me this this fear maybe it's because um um, I don't have enough knowledge or I don't have enough support or um, maybe I'm not experienced enough. So what, what is this emotion and reaction telling me? And yeah. What should I do about it? Like, who should I go to? How should I change this response, yeah. uh, this reaction? And then the response is that conscious response. That's what you do. So the reaction is like an instinct. Oh, my gosh, this is so scary. But then it's what you do with that reaction. You turn it into a considered conscious response um, and it allows you to move forward. And that's, that's who you are. That, then you're kind of slowing down and thinking, hang on, hang on. I'm going to respond to this, <laughs> to this change. Yeah. I'm going to interpret it, reflect on it, and then I'm going to move forward. Yeah. And also you know that that thing of building on what's what you already do well mm-hmm. so having that kind of that kind of knowledge and understanding of your own practice or your settings practice what is it that's that that you do very well and then that's what you can build on so you're starting from that positive place um and sometimes it can be it can be difficult to see what you do well because you're feeling a bit overwhelmed but that's that's a really good baseline to start i think there's there's a lot of talk, isn't there, at the moment, because these changes in a very positive way are requiring um, a, a growing in, in knowledge of child development. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a lot of reflection going on around CPD and training um, as well. Um, and I just wondered what your thoughts were around the different ways that educators um, can access CPD, whether that's individually or as a team. And, and I think that might take us nicely round in, in a sort of full circle to where we began as well. But yeah, what, um, what do you think about CPD, Angelica, and how we access it? Well, I think that very recently what um, kind of all the, the changes, the lockdowns and the virtual way of working has showed us is that CPD is no longer and doesn't have to be, and I guess never had to be constrained to going out and doing a face-to-face course um, or even doing a course online and sitting down and going through that process and then getting a certificate at the end of it. I think, and a lot of um, early years kind of educators and influencers and specialists would agree with me that CPD is found in many places, all these snippets of content knowledge information that we get um on social media you know when we when we see um a post on instagram for instance and um it's it's making us question and reflect on practice it might be addressing a certain issue it might just be a question and then a discussion follows from Mm -hmm. that that is cpd because it is exactly what it says it is continuous professional development is continuing your your professional development um and this actually made me think of something that i spoke to um about with um an an academic the other day actually david meach and he he was talking about um the setting that he works very closely with and um the, the the lead the manager there what she tries to do is um always kind of progress their staff through marginal gains so these kind of small incremental improvements that lead to a bigger change a bigger improvement um 
So, and that's what that's what really fuels people, kind of, you know, everyone. That this is how we're um, how we're wired to make these small little steps, little progress steps, um, and then it makes us feel like we're, we're accomplishing more. And we are um, these kind of step by step bits, a bit small bits of information, small bits of content knowledge, small bits of CPD. And then we think, actually, I know a lot about this, or I can I can say um, I can have a conversation with someone about this. I can reflect on this. Um, it's almost a little bit like um, I, in the world that we live in now. It's very kind of fast paced, and there's so much content out there. Um, it's that concept of um, knowing a little bit about a lot. Is that right? <laughs> So yes, that's it. So um, having kind of really broad knowledge. So um, you know a tiny little bit about one thing, another thing, another thing, and another yeah. thing. Um, so you're able to then, in a conversation, a discussion with someone, you're able to tap into that and think, oh yeah, I know a little bit of background on this, so I can kind of ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. And you you may be talking to a specialist on this area and you know nothing about it compared to them, but you've heard of it before, you've read a sentence on it or a paragraph, and that already allows you to have some kind of understanding of what it is, what that topic is about, and you can ask the right questions. So that's how I see CPD as well. You're, you're able to then, if you get that little snippet online somewhere on an Instagram post, for instance, then you listen to a podcast that's actually talking about this and you think, oh, I know about this already. I understand the concept. Mm -hmm. And now that's getting you to build on it. Mm -hmm. So I think the most effective knowledge is building on, well, scaffolding learning. It's, it goes back to the children, doesn't it? Yeah. I got to talk about scaffolding learning. Yeah. That's exactly the same, I think, with practitioners, these small bite-sized bits of CPD. Mm -hmm. You're in charge of your own learning. You're in charge of scaffolding your own learning. That thing about being in charge of your own learning, I think, is really interesting. We we did a podcast a, uh, just a few weeks ago with um, Kerry Payne, and we were talking about this, and she was speaking about that kind of almost that sort of, I suppose, responsibility of the individual educator to kind of build their own pedagogy through CPD. And when you can access, you know, as well as perhaps approaching your your management team and saying you know I think I could really do with a course on this I'm really interested in this or I think this is an area of improvement for me or perhaps them suggesting something also being able to access these smaller things um, more individually allows you to kind of pick your pathway almost mm -hmm. doesn't it and, and yeah. kind of build and understand your own pedagogy and your own approaches to things um, without constantly always needing to um, perhaps revert to you know asking to be able to go on a course or whatever it is because because things are you know things if you're curious then things are there are things that are accessible there are podcasts there are articles um, social media again is is a space in which there is CPD it goes back to that question that, that thing that we were talking about at the beginning around being discerning but mm -hmm. there are you mentioned Instagram you know there are there are lots of ways to learn through social media as well um, all of which can help you create your own understanding of your approaches mm -hmm. to working with children, which is actually very exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's a very it exciting is. way to think about it. Um, 
yeah there's there's so much out there and and again it's important because there is so much out there and so many different views and so much knowledge it's, it goes back to that concept of being critical consumers of knowledge so yeah we we always always must ensure that we are if there's something that um it, you know it's quite a bold statement we need to look into where did that come from who did the research you know as well as what does it mean to us and can we relate to it and is this correct in our context yeah, yeah, yeah and I guess it's also about kind of being conscious of um at the same time of making sure that we're kind of seeking out that high quality CPD and really thinking about it's 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 like with everything isn't it it's it's kind of building um a kind of a big jigsaw puzzle of all the different things the different ways that you can access your cpd whether that's attending a course by a specialist or you know listening to a podcast by a specialist that you've chosen to do or reading an article or whatever it is um i always think of cpd as it it's it refreshes us it's kind of hugely refreshing thing isn't it it kind of revitalizes us um and yeah, and it comes back to that that growth that you talked about all the way through the podcast, really, that, that growth that's so important. Um, and reflective practice, which yes. I know is something that's really important to you as well. Yeah, definitely. That, that just comes hand in hand, I think. Reflection in your in our lives, you know, even outside of our um, professional careers, I think that's what really makes us grow. Mm. Uh, because then we we are reflecting on why we reacted in the way that we reacted um the way our mind works you know our actions what do they tell us about reflecting on what they tell us about how we're feeling how we're thinking and reflecting on knowledge that we take in as well and what always kind of coming back to yourself i think what does that mean for you yeah yeah and 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 then yeah and then how you bring that to the to the children and the families and and your colleagues that you're working with as well that kind of broader team angelica thank you so much that's just been really interesting and i've really enjoyed talking to you in greater depth about some of those those concepts that i know are really important to you um and i think it's 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 really fascinating to for me, some of those things, you know, that, that kind of being critical consumers of research, I love that phrase, and it's a phrase that's come back up in my mind since we last spoke. Um, when I've been reading things, you know, I've made sure that I've got my, my curious brain alive and have been really thinking. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's been really lovely to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and um, I'd love to come back and discuss all these deep issues even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, Angelica.